When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of Courtside Fracker. It's been about a week since we last caught up and the NBA being the NBA, a lot has happened uh, today, especially. Uh, so joining me today, I've got Greg. How are you doing, Greg? Um, I am well. Good, good, good. Side <laughs> Victoria. Well, I mean, the series is over, but it feels like it is. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, I'm wearing my worn out beaded like you can't see it on cam, but this yeah. has like little bubbles on it, like KD's hair. It's homage. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also got a regular Rick. Hi there, Rick. Yo, I'm all right. Good, good. I appreciate you still coming on despite the fact your Lakers got that was Has he been on have you been on the pod since? Yeah, yeah, I've been on a couple of parts. I like basketball oh, on the day. Okay, so. yeah, I wasn't on your last pod. Yeah, no worries, my bad. But yeah, appreciate you still coming through anyway. Yeah, not not everybody's that way inclined. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's been it's been a long week, uh, and today's been absolutely mental. So before we kind of get into the games, I just wanted to discuss just just today's news, uh, this week's news. Um, so Lamelo Ball being crowned Rookie of the Year over Anthony Edwards. Uh, a couple of uh, coaching changes. Scott Brooks. Contract not being renewed by the Washington Wizards, Stan Van Gundy being sacked by the Pelicans. The all defensive and all NBA teams have also come out. And Chris Paul of the Phoenix Suns is going to be missing some time due to COVID protocol. So I'll, I'll come to you first, Greg. Um, seemed like you had quite a bit to say before the pod started. So, yeah, only right to give you an opportunity to get your shit off. What, what you got to say? The all NBA teams are a joke, it's just ridiculous. I don't understand what these voters are on. The all-defensive teams I thought were okay. I mean, the only person that I felt, you know, maybe was snubbed was was Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges. Uh, uh, what's the guy from the Suns called? Michael Bridges. My, yeah. There we go. I thought he was snubbed, uh, considering the fact that the Suns were a second second best team in the uh, in the Western Conference. Um, but at, at one point or another, winning is going to have to factor into all NBA selections. I mean, you can't have. There was no Booker, no Mitchell. There's a two guys averaging twenty five plus on the two top teams in oh, the West. What I was just thinking is that our listeners may not know what the All NBA teams are, so let me just quickly run through them. So the first team, uh, the guards are Steph Curry and Luka Doncic, forwards Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard, the center being Nikola Jokic. Second team, the guards are Chris Paul and Damian Lillard. Forwards, Julius Randle and LeBron James. Your centres, Joel Embiid. Uh, and the third team, your guards are Bradley Bill and Kyrie Irving. Your forwards, Jimmy Butler and Paul George. And your centres, Rudy Gobert. So you um, mentioned players who should have been on that but haven't been named to any of the teams. Um, it's always tough taking somebody off one of these teams. So who, who are the names that stand out to you that you feel that probably didn't deserve to be All-NBA this season? Lebr LeBron, sorry. You missed too much of the season. Um, 
Kyrie, sorry, missed a bunch of games. Um, I felt Lillard should have been the first team ahead of Luca, just because of. Uh, he, Do you think the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a tough between those two, and especially because of what Luca did in the playoffs. But then Lillard you was think that factored into it, though, because it's a regular season. Award, I know, I know, but you know, you know how these voters are. You know, they, you know, they're sneaking in a little bit of of playoff contributions. Um, Booker and Mitchell, as I said, definitely should have been there. Tatum, yeah, the Celtics were a seventh seed, but I definitely he should have been on in there. That guy was averaging like 40, 50 points a game the last three, four weeks of the season. So, I mean, Chris Paul shouldn't have been on an all-NBA team as much as he's one of my favourite guards of all time. I just think the, the NBA media factors in so heavily with these guys, especially from a, a monetary standpoint. I believe Mitchell and Tatum now aren't eligible for like an extra 30 or 40 or 50 million in their next contract because they weren't on the all-NBA team. And it's just ridiculous. I think... They they definitely need some sort of new voters or just something needs to be needs to be done because it's not fair to these players that um you know they're being they're being hard done by in this regard because of narratives and the like. I do think it's interesting that you said that Kyrie hasn't played enough games, but one of Mitchell in. Kyrie played more than Mitchell. Played one more game than Donovan Mitchell. I can't lie, that that's my bad. I didn't feel as if as if Mitchell had missed that many games compared Remember to Remember, he had that injury at the end of the season. I think he missed about 20 games, close to 16 to 20 games, I believe. Um, mm. Booker, though, Booker for me is definitely the one that stands out. And uh, obviously, they're successful this year, but at some point, he must be getting sick of this CP3 loving. And I, I like you, Greg, he's one of my favorite <laughs> cards ever. But like, hello, <laughs> I'm the fucking main player on this team. Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? Like I've 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 been on my Booker train like all, all all day to be perfectly honest because obviously we're we're sort of leading up to a potential Jazz versus Suns Western Conference final. Obviously that that series still needs to be played between the Clips and the Jazz, but obviously with these All NBA teams, you look at it and you're like one of Mitchell or Booker should have been there, but who's better? And for me. The nod has to go to Devin Booker. Um, the fact that CP3 was in the MVP race, the fact that he's all NBA, is fully like a legacy vote, man. And I, um, if if any of you know me, like when it comes to uh, the Touchline Hotspur lads, uh, shout out to them. We're tired of this whole legacy talk, man. We got legacy fans amongst our fan base, and I'm tired of this legacy uh, voting in the NBA because that shit is tiring, man. Give people their flowers while they can smell them, or don't give them at all. That's that's how I see it. Because two thousand eight MVP, doing... huh? Uh, I'm I'm adamant. I'm, I'm on your giving the flowers while they're meant to get it. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And and as far as I'm concerned, what 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 you end up doing is you end up halting guys' progress. You end up halting guys' ability to sort of uh, showcase who they are and what they are at the right times. And then they end up playing catch up way down the line, and, and there's financial important. ramifications as well, which I think is probably the bit the biggest part of it. So you've got Mitchell and Tatum missing out on about thirty million um, in terms of bonus by not making an All NBA team. Um, and that's ridiculous. These voters shouldn't have the power to influence the money that these guys are getting, especially when we know that a lot of the time there's a politics involved. Um, yeah, I think they have to go back and look exactly how, how they're doing that because yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, it's different if you're if you're a shooting guard and 
you look at your your legacy at the end of your 15-year career and it's like, oh, damn, I only made three NBA teams because I played with Kobe or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can understand if you lose out to, to Kobe Bryant for, for 15 straight years or whatever. But when you should have been there and then you're losing out to a 35, 36-year-old Chris Paul, who, don't get me wrong, is still a great player, but Booker is levels above him. Mitchell is a better player at, the, at his age. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, like, on the thing of the media votes and the politics behind it, like, it's been in the NBA for way too long, and it affects the players' legacies and their monies. So, like, there have been times where Ramona Shelburne or whatever her name is is like, oh, I didn't vote for LeBron 13 because I didn't like the way he wasn't sitting close to his teammates on the bench. And it's like, <laughs> all right, like, at a certain point, you guys need to be focused on the actual game of basketball. She's, she's like, done the opposite as well. Yeah, like it, this it is, is the thing the, that they keep bringing up, and the Chris Paul stuff has been nasty because even in that Lakers first round, Devin Booker dropped forty-seven, and at the end of the game, Chris Paul had two mid-range jumpers, and all you're hearing is Chris Paul makes his finishing touches on this game, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what are we watching? Like Chris, like Devin Booker closed the Lakers out. I love the Lakers. He saw AD went down and he saw blood. He gave us like 20 in back-to-back quarter, first quarters. How was the conversation not about him? And it's especially jarring because for so much of his career, he's been dumped on for not being a winning player, not being able to contribute to things. When people didn't take into account, he had four different coaches. His teammates were garbage. The GM was bad. And now you suddenly put those things for him to succeed, and he does. And suddenly you don't want to like give him the credit for that. It didn't make any sense. So the All-NBA thing... It's just a bigger issue of what's been happening with Booker and his career and not getting the respect he deserves. With Jason Tatum, I don't understand. Like, the, the NBA teams were weird because, like, even with the people that were there, I think LeBron should have been third team. I thought Paul George should have been second team. Like, Paul George had a great year. He, he, he did, really and he did, and they won't see it. The, the average NBA I, fan would not admit even, it. Even the NBA, I think that's why I can't help but say that the playoffs has played a part in how they voted and they've but let it they've even, let it tweak their, their, their voting. Even in this playoffs, like the amount of playoff peace lander you've seen, you would think that he's been terrible when he's had a really solid playoffs. He had two poor games in Utah, but like in that Dallas series, he was really he's really contributing to winning and even making winning plays, even when the shot wasn't falling down. The last two games he's been exceptional. Like he him and Kawhi have been like one A and like one A two, not even one B. They've been right up there. So it's really weird because it feels like once that narrative is attached to a player, it doesn't go Mm -hmm. away. And it affects, like, voting and stuff going forward. So that's the part that's been, like, the most annoying about, like, the all-NBA team and the selections. Like, even with CP3, like, there's a narrative to CP3 attached, and it's a good one, but it shouldn't be being portrayed the way it is. Like, it should just be, okay, CP3's having a really good year, like, Kyle Lowry did the same thing to the Raptors. Like, Kawhi left. No one expected them to be what they were. Kyle Lowry was the leader, the best player, and led them to the Eastern Conference Finals. None of this was done for him. So it's just jarring. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting to to watch. And like you guys say, it, it shapes the player's legacy and reputation, and, and it affects their pockets as well. Um, and as much as this is probably the league where players have the most power and they have the most say, uh, definitely in American sports, there's still a bit more work to be done where the decision of how much money um, Tatum's making over the four years, next four years isn't decided by the likes of Brian Windhorse and 
Bill Simmons, etc., etc. Um, I also wanted to talk about uh, obviously uh, Chris Paul being out due to COVID protocol. Um, I know we're just speaking about it, but he could never catch a break. There will be no CP3 slander on this podcast today, <laughs> not today, not ever. Do you know what? Is, is that something with the higher powers that he needs to work out on? Like, I don't know what it is. Honestly, I'm not going to say it's karma, but there's some like habitual line stepping that CP3 does sometimes. And it's been going back since his college days when he's punching players in the nuts, stuff like that. And I'm just thinking to my head, like, CP3, there's someone out there does not like you. I don't know if they have a doll of you. I don't know if they're preying on your downfall, <laughs> but someone out there is like actively rooting against you. I thought the vegan diet would have cleansed him of all the evil spirits, to be perfectly honest. It was looking that way, and then all of a sudden, now this has happened. It's like, my God, man. That is literally going to be a footnote in his legacy as well, is every time they look like they can do something in the playoffs, he's out. He's out for he's a game. That, he's that like, Steve Nash curse on him. <laughs> when Nash could have gone to like three NBA finals, but one in a million chance things stopped him each time. It might be a blessing in disguise, though, because I know we've spoken about how CP3's inclusion into the teams has sort of altered the perception of uh, what Devin Booker has been doing. But if they manage to win a game without CP3, Monty Williams will get his flowers. Like, he deserves a year as far as I was was concerned. And, like, that was a snub. For me, that's a snub, too. Um, But I think that will give them an opportunity to, to revert back to what they were doing before CP3 was there. Obviously, the 8-0 run uh, leading into the, the bubble last year. I, I want to see more of that, to be perfectly honest. Cause they already did that, though. Like, they, like, like Devin Booker put 40 points on the number one defense in the NBA by far without Chris yeah. Paul. So it's like, okay, what else did he need to do? Mm. It's like Chris it Paul, he did it in, in the first round. It feels like Chris Paul needs to not be in the stadium for them to not mention him. He'll be on the bench, <laughs> and they'll be talking about his leadership on the bench. Like, that's what's going to happen. They'll be like, oh, you see Chris Paul talking to Cameron Payne, and he was like, Cameron Payne, hit a step back three, and that's why Cameron Payne hit a step back three. He'd really turn this organization around, and when you look at Chris Paul's <laughs> career, you're talking about 10 times All-NBA. You're talking about assist leader six times. You're talking about one of the best point guards, become the best leaders, and they'll show all the teams he went to and their record before he got there and their record after he got... He in- Injected! <laughs> they get a big, they get the big caps out for CP3, man. You can tell, yeah, you can tell uh, DeAndre Ayton that he's got a booger, and someone will be like, "Oh, he was telling him that he needed to hit him with a hooker." So, like, <laughs> shut up, man! Get out of here. So yeah, so it seems like um, I, I, we'll get we'll get to the Clippers Jazz series, but it seems like him being out will definitely mean he he misses at least one of one of the games in the Western Conference Finals. Um, but yeah, w- when that starts is is still to be decided. And yeah, a couple of coaching changes coming up with obviously the Wizards getting rid of Scott Brooks and the Pelicans getting rid of Stan Van Gundy. Um, yeah, the Pelicans have one of the best young players in the league in Zion Williamson. And um, Brandon Ingram's probably somewhere again in the top 10, 15 young players in, in the league. And um, they seem to be underachieving. And that's the feeling that they're underachieving. Does anyone think that it was premature in getting rid of Stan Van Gundy? Nope. I do. Okay. Tell us why, Rick. I feel like they brought Steven Van Gundy in under the guise of being competitive now. 
But like David Griffin as a whole, I'm looking at him and I'm looking at the moves he made. And I just think that he hasn't actually built a competitive team. Like Zion fell in your lap with the number one pick. So I don't necessarily want to give him credit for that because it's number one pick. Who are you going to take? I look at the additions they've made and Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams. And it's like those guys were not contributors to your teams. And not only that, like you gave up picks for those guys, you gave up assets and you extended Steven Adams contract. Like I think Van Gundy has made it clear, like, yo, I'm not in charge of these roster moves. So in my head, I'm like, you never felt, you never gave him a like chance to succeed. Not only that, but like in a COVID season where teams aren't even allowed to practice, they don't have enough time to practice and to get stuff in. So not only did they give you a bad roster, you don't really have time to try and like build some any type of cohesion with your roster. I don't think he did that well. No, I think he did some good things, such as the point Zion putting the ball in Zion's hands more. But in reality, I'm looking at David Griffin, and I feel like this is David Griffin trying to absolve him of the blame and being like, oh, you had Zion and Brandon, figure it out. And it's like, no, why the hell did you give me Steven Adams, who's not a room protector at this age? He's not mobile. He's not a lopter. He's not a vertical spacer. You gave me Eric Bledsoe, who I don't even know where to start on him. So the <laughs> roster construction is just a huge issue. And honestly, they have to get this next coaching hire right. And I don't know how they're going to get off of Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams without giving up picks. So they're not going to. You're right. They're not going moving to. Moving forward, like not only is I won't say the roster is handicapped because when you have Zon, it's never handicapped. But I'm looking at the front office, like yo, y'all haven't actually built a successful team or a team that I think should be successful in your time here. And I'm looking at David Griffin a lot more than I look to Stan Van Gundy. Yeah, that's fair enough. Obviously, Griffin won a title with the Cavaliers, another person whose career was made by LeBron James. Um, he's, he's gone to Pel the Pelicans. And yeah, I have to completely agree with you. The fact that they were even in and around the, the, the playoffs is testament to, yeah, to, to, to Zion. Because, yeah, Stephen Adams, who'd been washed for about two or three years, they gave him a, a new contract. And getting rid of Drew Holiday for, for Eric Bledsoe, didn't really smell of a roster who was trying to win now. I'm not, again, not really sure what they were thinking there. Um, and then obviously in, in the East, we've got um, the Wizards getting rid of uh, Scotty Brooks. So Russell Westbrook does Brooks in again. Um, <laughs> again, does anybody think uh, Washington made the wrong decision there? No, no. I think I think per, per, personally on, on the Stan Van Gundy thing, transitioning into the Scott Brooks. So with, with Van Gundy, the reports made it seem as if it was more of a mutual thing than a firing. Um, the way that it was worded led me to believe that they just didn't feel like it was working. And I think that that's that's a good thing. That's why I don't think it's premature. I think if it's not working, you should have the the leeway as a coach to basically say, "All right, like I might want to get out of here before my reputation takes a hit." Because him being known as a defensive coach and then being one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA was not a good look. Yeah, we can look at the pieces, but again, uh, we've seen we've seen teams with new rosters start to get well-drilled over the course of the season. And in Stan Van Gundy's case, he was dealing with uh, square pegs in round holes. So it's good for him to get released from that situation and be, on, be able to move on to something else. With Scott Brooks, mate, <laughs> huh, what can, what can you say, really? Like, you get... A guy that you know that knows how you work, he teams up with another star, and they were dog shit the whole season. Like I know they had their little spell where they where they picked it up a little bit and managed to make the playoffs, but 
that was the most underwhelming team I've I've seen in years. Like the expectation for me was for them to somehow force their way into like a, a fifth or sixth seed, and they were trash. They were trash. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, that was that was right on the wall. I feel like he's had too many opportunities already, and the fact that it's happened with Westbrook coming back back to him uh, is poetic justice, I'd say. He's white, so he'll continue to get those opportunities, the coaching ones anyways. Yeah, he's got two or three more jobs in him at least. Two or three more failures in him at least before they kick him out of the league. Um, And Lamelo, Rookie of the Year. Greg, I know you're a big Lamelo fan. Um, Give us a few words about the season that he's had. I want you to put the word out there that we back up. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, Lamelo is one of the most exciting guys, uh, I feel. One of the most exciting young guys in the NBA. Um, to watch, I think I, I I did a list the other day on Twitter of guys under twenty five and how I'd rank them, and I've already put them in my top ten towards the, towards the lesser half of the top ten. I'm not I'm not that high <laughs> on cocaine, not not just yet. Um, but yeah, it's good to see him him win the Rookie of the Year. Obviously, the talk around that award this year was will his games missed factor into the award with the um with the play of of Anthony Edwards. Um, I wouldn't look at Anthony Edwards as a snub. I was saying earlier in the year, you know, I wouldn't be mad if they just gave it to both of them uh, as they did previously in uh, in 95 and 2000. But, you know, Lamelo won Rookie of the Year and I'm happy. Cool. Yeah. Um, injuries, uh, touch wood that he doesn't get any si- serious injuries, but I think we'll be watching both of them uh, for the for the next decade or so. And yeah, the league is, is in good hands. So let's get into it, really. What we're really here for. Um, Sai, for those of you who don't know, don't know how you wouldn't know, um, if you've been listening to this pod for the last year plus. Um, but size Brooklyn Nets won yesterday, game five, a 114-108 victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. They said it was a legacy game for KD, Sai. A legacy. They, Greg, I saw you tweeting today. They said it was a legacy game. Am I lying? They did. And they, they, they need to be slapped. <laughs> That's what they said. So, yeah, um, talk us through the game. Talk us through the, obviously, James Harden coming back, how the game played out, um, and your thoughts for the rest of the series. Yeah, so the news the news coming into the game was James Harden being uh, shifted through all the different NBA statuses of injuries. Um, probable, plausible, feasible. Any 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 word that means the same shit, basically, they, they, they said it. Um, so he ended up being a starter in the game. They gave um, him a perk and they were like, you know what, can you go out there? And he was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm off a perk. And that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's how he was playing in the first quarter, boy. Ball hitting him in the back of the head, throwing it off the court. He was definitely off a side. It was, it was, it was, it was real scary hours early on, man. Early struggles, uh, 0 of 10 from the field. Uh, we were getting smoked. Our boots were getting smoked. Uh, the credit to the Bucks, they were playing good ball. Um, ball was moving around, uh, which hasn't been the case at times for for the Bucks during this series. Um, and then you started to see who was going to carry this 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 game for the rest of the time. Um, Jeff Green, Uncle Jeff, managed to get back into get back into the fold. Uh, he was suffering from an injury earlier in the in the series, so it was good to see him back in in the pace of things. And then Kevin Durant, man, what can you say? He started a game. He started the game like quite controlled. You could see that he wanted to see who, who was going to match him. Uh, obviously, James Harden had a couple of early turnovers in the first quarter. Um, 
so there was a lot of talk about him maybe not being right for the game. Uh, but as, as as the game went on, especially in the first half, you started to see that the floor spacing was just where it needed to be. So even though he wasn't necessarily a scoring threat and he was thinking it up from the field, Drew Holiday was picking up him up full court. They were throwing second men at him every so often, um, which was utterly ridiculous. But obviously that is the James Harden effect. If you don't play him honest, there is a chance that he can go off. So... I think the fear factor basically just played into our hands and we managed to uh, overcome quite a big deficit. We were down by about 17 uh, at halftime, 16 going into the half, but their biggest lead was 17. That was in the third quarter. I I was reading a a tweet from one of these analytical sites and I think about five, six minutes left in the third, there's a 94% chance of the Bucks winning. Oh my god, that six percent came to the front. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Like I've got I've got in my notes what the fuck were the Bucks picking why the fuck were the Bucks picking up Harden full court? He couldn't move and they carried it on all the way into the second half. And we just smoked their boots in the third quarter. Like we chipped away at the lead. Um I think Jeff Green, Jeff Green over the game went seven for eight from three. Which is ridiculous. National TV Jeff Green. National TV Jeff Green. We know about this already, man. <laughs> you know what, man? Like, not not enough get gets made of Jeff Green. I know in our group chat we were talking about Bruce Brown and Jeff Green being those sort of spark plug glue glue guys for this team, and both of them had their moments in this game. I think uh, obviously Jeff Green was the Robin to KD's Batman throughout the course of the game. Um, but in the fourth quarter, Bruce Brown came on. Those short roll options started to come, kick into the baseline. Blake Griffin getting dunks, uh, Jeff Green getting easy bunny layups, and then the second half of the fourth quarter, Katie goes off. Katie goes off. He finished the fourth with uh, twenty points and was just scorching hot. Like he—he's he, absolutely ridiculous, man. Like as soon as as soon as he started to notice that Yanis was playing ISO ball. He just turned it up a little bit because as soon as the Bucks stop moving the ball, their 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 production just slows down. They start giving the ball up, they start turning it over, they can't string any 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 real momentum together. And we know that he's best when he's going downhill. And we just stifled him. I've got a I've got a question, not even necessarily a question, thoughts. They won game four. And I said, I said, um, I was talking to one of the um, cast members this year, and I was, he was saying, oh, people talk on Giannis, blah, 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 blah. I was like, he did his thing today, but he's still making me very, very sick because he seems to want to deviate away from the things that he's actually good at and try and be a boy that he really isn't. Like, you're not, a, you're not a hooper like that. Like, we know what you're good at. Stick to what you're good at. And I felt like in game four, they won in spite of him trying to be that hooper that he wasn't. And I think that what happened in game five was that they saw the flip side of that and then combined with it, you've got one of the best players that the NBA has ever seen having one of his best performances ever. And 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 that's exactly what can happen. If they go back and watch the tape, um, Rick, I know you were talking about Coach Bud at the start, but I want you to kind of talk about Coach Bud and also Janice and his approach throughout this series and how much he's hampered the team as well. Yeah, I was going to say that it's a weird thing with Giannis because I think that his play has actually been a lot better 
this postseason as opposed to last postseason. Last postseason, I thought that he was one of like the main top two reasons they uh, lost. This postseason, even against the Nets, like he's been effective. The problem for me with Giannis right now is his mentality and his ego. Because when I look at Giannis, you're seeing a person that wants to be the best player in the world. He wants to be the the wing creator that's taking the shot to win the game. He wants to be the guy that's able to do ISO. But at the same time, he's not realizing what he's good at. And there's like a 50-50 blame when it comes to Giannis' play. I blame Giannis for 50% of it because at a certain point, you're 26. You need to realize, okay, this is what I'm good at. I need to maximize this. And at the end of the day, superstars call their own shots. So I don't think that as bad as Bud is, he's not telling Giannis to take eight pull-up threes. Giannis is doing that on his own accord. So that's that's a problem within Giannis. The other 50% I put on the Bucks organization in general for the development of Giannis and what they want from him. Because what they want Giannis to be and what they want Giannis to do and what they allow him to do is not stuff that he should be allowed to do. And the reason that I put this part on Bud is because it isn't just Giannis, but it goes to the whole team. The whole team, there's a lack of discipline without that team, and anyone is allowed to do anything. So the last three years in the playoffs, when they get up or do get they fold, random stuff starts happening. And it's it's so weird to see this on a NBA playoff team with championship aspirations. The lack of discipline defensively to just continue playing drop coverages for three years. Oh, in and not just to continue playing it. Their adjustment was to actually go away from Bobby Porter, who was their most switchable defender. And they actually played Brooke more. So the adjustment wasn't just to continue playing drop. It was to do it more. So I'm watching that. I'm like, okay, why? Like, James Harden is gone. Kyrie is gone. You know that their main offensive weapon is KD. You know that at the very most, you should be dependent on making KD a creator because that's something that he struggled with in the past. You trap KD, you make the rotations out of that, you make somebody else beat you. Instead, you just saw KD, as great as he is, you should never when you when there's a when a player is that great, you should never give them a steady diet of the shots they live on. So when KD is coming off screens and he's seeing Brooke Lopez at the nail and he can just pull up on the elbow over and over and over again, that's bad process. And even the games the Bucks won this series, they won the games in spite of bad process. And I know I was like, I felt like I was in the twilight zone because like Chuck was making good analysis. He was like, that team is dumb. And that's as simple as it gets with them. They're dumb. So I'm looking at, I'm like, okay, you want to, in the first game, you're killing the Nets in the paint. At the half, you're down by three. And I'm like, okay, you've killed the Nets in the paint, but you've taken entirely too many off the dribble three pointers. That first half should tell you what not to do again. And as that game went on, they did the opposite. They did less of attacking the paint, and they did more of the shooting jumpers. So I thought that they would learn from that. But as the series went on, they got more and more away from what they were, and they're trying to ISO against the Nets. The Bucks do not have one good ISO player on that team. Not one. So when you have Middleton deciding to try and pull up against a seven-foot Durant with 20 seconds left on the shot clock, that's a terrible process. Why is that like why are you allowing this to happen over and over? Like this is the fifth game and we're still seeing this. It's interesting when you when you said about uh Yanis's uh ego. 
that there's a moment in the second quarter where he had three three buckets consecutively. So the first one is a three over Blake. He does like a little little setup dribble, goes straight up, wets it. Second play, ISO again, dribble, dribble, pulls up for a mid-range. That's not his game. Third one, Harden gets switched on him, drives past him, easy layup. You see Yanis flexing on the way back. I'm like, you man are going to lose. You're going to lose because now you think that that is going to be the way this game runs. And lo and behold, every every opportunity he gets, he bundles his way into, into the paint. Offensive fouls on Jeff Green, offensive fouls in against Blake Griffin continuously over, over the second half. And I'm just like, yo, like learn from your mistakes, my guy, because what ends up happening is Drew Holiday then starts feel, feeling the pressure to make something out of nothing, starts ISOing. That's not his game. As you mentioned, Middleton starts ISOing. He's a better ISO player than those guys, but again, you want him moving. You want there to be motion. You want there to be actions before a guy takes a shot. There was none of it. It was dreadful, dreadful stuff to watch. And the problem also is that Giannis, in terms of like ego, like I think that some superstars need a little bit more of LeBron in them in terms of like that assertiveness to kind of assert your aggressiveness. Like there was a game in game one where Steve Nash tries to take KD out when he gets his fourth foul. And KD is like, no, you're not taking me out this game. And he chose to stay in. And like, there's kind of like a, a level of assertiveness where Katie is like, okay, you are the coach, but I am the star player. What I know needs to be done will get done. And Giannis doesn't have that. Like, it's weird to say, but he's too much of a good guy. He just gets along with his coach. Whatever the coach asks him to do, he'll do it, whether it's the smart thing or not. So if the coach says, yo, I know Jimmy Butler is shooting 23% on threes, but we want you to not guard him. And we want the other guys to go over the screen. Giannis would be like, ah, oh, that sounds cool to me. So there's like a level of like realization that Giannis has to get when he's saying, like, okay, if you're at this superstar level and you want to be at that level, at a certain point, your coaching can't save the handicaps because you have the pro like you have the potential to change that. Like if Giannis wanted Bud to be out, he would have been gone last year. Giannis was completely fine with letting the organization bring Bud back. So at a certain point, as bad as Bud is, and I'm going to get into that because I need to speak on him. But as bad as Bud is, Giannis, as your superstar, has to use a little bit of his agency to have more decision-making power. So, Listen, uh, there's two things for me. Number one, let's talk about KD and, and going into this game five. These, what can only be described as idiots on NBA Twitter, are talking about legacy game and can KD carry the load and like do, have you not watched Kevin Durant score 30 every day for the last decade where have you been okay yes he's had a lot of help in Brooklyn and in Golden State but this is a guy that averaged 32 a game when Westbrook was down in his MVP year and now you fast forward six seven years eight years later you're playing in an NBA where scoring is through the roof like you give him more usage he's going to take more shots he's going to score more points this is not flipping uh, J.R. Smith were talking about or something where, you know, he could potentially go five of of 16. No, he's Kevin Durant. <laughs> so I don't know why people were expecting him not to rise to the occasion. Did I expect him to put up 49, 17 and 10? No. But to act like this guy wasn't going to score 30 plus was just ridiculous. That's number one. Number two, 
with Yanis and Bud and the Bucks, this is where the positionless era really comes back to bite these type of players because Yanis is not a small forward. He's He plays power forward in the lineup, but he plays power forward because Middleton plays a small forward. So he's really playing as a small forward in the power forward position when in actuality he's a centre. He plays as a centre defensively. We know he protects the rim. We know he can uh, can gallop across that painted area and play help defence. So he plays as a five defensively. But offense, offensively, he is a he is a, a center. And if he was playing in the 90s, he would be coming down the floor and playing back to the basket. He would have an array of post moves. I'm not saying he'd be flipping Hakeem Olajuwon, one, but he'd be able to to hit a jump hook and, you know, a, a post fadeaway or an up and under, just basic fundamental post moves and be able to extend out possibly to a mid-range jump shot. The most, uh, the, the, the player comparison I would give him if he was playing in the 90s is David Robinson. Like David Robinson was fast as hell, agile as hell, uh, freak athlete, could jump, could shoot the mid-range, good post-game, uh, monster defensively. Like that's what Yanis is. But because he's playing in this position, this era, he's allowed to jack up eight threes in a game like he's flipping Pejo Stiakovic. You can't shoot threes. Get this through your head. You can't shoot threes. You, you didn't see prime Shaquille O'Neal shooting three-pointers. And we will understand why he wasn't shooting three-pointers because he couldn't shoot. But for some reason, Yanis is allowed to go out there and score and shoot eight threes in, what was it, game three or game four of the of that series? Yeah, when they and asked him, five, when, I feel, when, I, when they asked him, he's kind of like, yeah, when I feel to take a three, I'm going to take a three. But I no, think even, you're not allowed to take threes. <laughs> I think even more so, they had the regular season blueprint. Remember those couple of games they had? And and Yanis had a, a great, well, the first game, I think he, he scored close to 50 points in that. And he feasted in the paint. And it's like, like you say, Rick, in the first half of the first game, you saw the blueprint. Why are you trying to be who you are? That's what I was saying, that despite them getting it back to 2-2, he was making me sick because you're trying to be what you're not. Do you understand? And and even more so, his, his free throw shooting dropping from almost 70% to 50% in the in the play. What's that about? What the hell is that he's about? He's taking too fucking long to take his free throws. There's a great clip. I'm going to I'm gonna post it on the courtside account. I have it saved in my bookmarks. There's a great clip where, um, what's his name from the Warriors organization? Bob Myers. And he talks about the difference between the regular season and the postseason and how if you're a player, Paul Pierce is on the panel, so he uses Paul Pierce as an example. If you're a player and your go-to move is to grab the ball in the middle of the, of the floor, one dribble, pull up right. If you do that in the regular season 70% of the time, they know that. They have that on the scouting report. So coming into the postseason, you're not, that, that go-to move, that A move is taken away from you. you. You're getting one pull up right dribble shot, jump shot a game. That's it. And if you get that, the other team's coach is screaming at their defender because they know and everyone in the stadium knows that's number one on the, on the scouting report. So you, have to, you need to go to option B or option C or option D and so on and so forth. Yanis doesn't have that. We've all seen that clip that's gone viral of Yanis uh, has no bag where he has Blake and he's just backing up, backing up just to gallop towards the basket. What? That's not basketball. What are you doing? I'm, I'm sorry, what are you doing? Are we the only people that can see this? Are the Bucks That's a two-time MVP. Not That's a two-time the MVP you're talking about, Greg. You show some respect, sir. He's a two-time <laughs> MVP. And and Rick, sorry to cut you off, Rick. Rick mentioned about the development of Yanis. And yes, there are some questions to be had there, but also the development has turned him into a two-time MVP. We understand this. But what what's, the, what's that saying? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting uh, different results. 
what is he doing? I don't understand. Why has he not tried to add anything to his game? Gilbert, and this is my last point before I hand back over. Gilbert Arena said in a clip once on, on his podcast, a lot of players go into the offseason and they work on their strengths. And it's like, if you're a shooter, you don't need to work on shooting. You're already a top 10 shooter in the NBA. Stay consistent with your shooting, but start to work on other aspects of your game that are failing. Yanis does not need to go into the offseason and work on driving to the basket. We know you're the best finisher in basketball around the basket. We know you shoot 80% from zero to three feet. Work on a post game, on a mid range, hire a shooting coach for crying out loud. <laughs> and and, and, and improve your game, please. That man is waiting. Like the problem with that is like Giannis does work on his weaknesses. The problem is that those weaknesses are never going to be strong enough to the point where, like, that's what you should be focusing on. So, as a Lakers fan, look at Anthony Davis, who even when he plays like a 6 6 center, Anthony Davis knows that at the end of the day, he's not a wing player. He's one of the best romantic in the NBA. He has an extremely high catch radius on lobs. He is a big and he's committed to that. The problem with Giannis is that, like, you can work on a three as a weakness, but whoever told you to work on these things, skip that. What you're good at is not well-rounded. So he's a great finisher, but it's like you get him in the post and he doesn't necessarily have an idea what to do. He doesn't necessarily have a good drop step. He doesn't have necessarily have a good array of finishes. So it's like, even though that was your strength, you didn't round that part of the basket. Like you, you, you didn't round your game around the basket well enough to expand out to three feet. It's like when you teach a kid shooting and you see kids starting to shoot from the three-point line, you always tell them start within, build up your touch around the basket, and then move out. With Giannis, everyone kept telling him, oh, until you shoot a three, you'll never be able to do this. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to go into the offseason and shoot nothing but threes. When it was like, that's not what you need to take your game to the next level. What you need is to give up being this super high-usage wing dribbler ISO player and develop more into being a five. And that's where my next point goes to. Bud is not doing none of that shit. He's not doing none. Like, I think it was in game four. Giannis is at the five, and the Bucks go on a 16-2 to two run. He's never at the five for the rest of the series. He played two more minutes at the five. So I'm looking <laughs> at and I'm like, not only is there a problem with Giannis not understanding who he is, Bud just doesn't understand anything in general. So... You're giving a coach that can't adapt to anything or any set of players, and you're giving him a player who's trying to adapt to the wrong things. Like, he needs someone to tell him, like, big man, work on your free throws. If he worked on his free throws and that was it, he would be fine. He would be fine. Because even if you're not shooting threes, you're dominant inside. And even if you're shooting 65%, at a certain point, getting people into foul trouble hurts the other teams. So if you get Blick into foul trouble – now they get to bring out DeAndre Jordan. Now they get to put KD on you. Just because you can hit your free throw at a 65% clip, that's what you're doing. So there's so many more ways for Giannis to be effective, which just aren't happening. And I'm looking at the Buck organization. And Bud in general, like, it's very alarming. Like, you're looking at Giannis and him not being used as a roller. You're looking at them going ISO heavy with no ISO players. You're looking at them continue to play drop coverage against Kevin Durant. You're looking at them... James Harden was on one leg and he played more than any of the big three. James Harden is on a hammy and a perk and he's playing more than any of the three. And not only is he playing more, they're dead ass doubling him. Like they're paying so much attention to him and he was not moving laterally at all. He could not move. And like in basketball, there's a thing where, okay, the player is injured. 
You take advantage of that. That's your advantage. When Chris Paul saw that AD couldn't move, he took advantage. Like, are you trying to win? If so, take advantage. <laughs> and then the craziest part was, I don't understand how Harden can be out there, not able to laterally move. And you're running ISOs on Kevin Durant. There is a player out there that can't move side to side. He can't rotate. And you're running ISOs on a seven-foot player. Neither Drew Holiday nor Chris Middleton are especially strong, fast, or explosive. So when they ISO against Kevin Durant, what they end up doing is try to shoot over his length. You're trying to shoot over a seven-footer's length. And Bud has watched this go on constantly and constantly and constantly. And it's even worse this year because every single game they've won, they've tried to lose. Like, in reality, they shouldn't have won game three. Game four, they got lucky with KD, whatever happened, and Kyrie getting injured. Kyrie's injury. Five, they literally had a Harden out there, not even being able to move. And they, they haven't taken advantage whatsoever. You haven't seen them attack hard. You haven't seen them change anything. Like, the Nets have lost more and more and more players. And looking at the way the Bucks played, it's like they just rewatched their regular season tape, and they're like, okay, this is how we're going to defend Kyrie tonight. And it's like, Kyrie's not out there. Kyrie's not out there. Change it up. You can go zone. You can go switch. The whole reason you got P.J. Tucker was so you can play Giannis at the five and switch. There's so much bad process going on. And with Bud, this is three years. And he did the same thing as Atlanta. Atlanta was a team that won 60 games in the regular season. And people tried comparing them to the Jazz this year. And I was like, no, the difference was that Atlanta had Bud. In the playoffs, they ran into LeBron, and they rolled over. Nothing happened. No adjustments. Nothing. And this even goes to the GM because how do you watch Bud do these things? And you bring him back. Like last yeah. year I was, was embarrassing. I was thinking about what 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 is next for Budenhauser. Uh I'm hiring like a a junior IT person. And I was like, someone tell Bud I'm hiring, man. Tell him to send over <laughs> that TV. And then I was like, when I ask him in the interview, like what what is it that you do when you get in high pressure situations and something's not working? Like, how do you adapt? And I was like, nah, you can work for me, man. This motherfucker can't adapt. So cool. that man is either going to be a plumber, a uh, postman, and no disrespect to you guys, I'm sure you do a high-level job, but this man is a failure. He's not a coach. He is the water boy or something, because at the minute, I'm not seeing any coaching happening. I'm not seeing any adjustments happening. I'm not seeing any intelligent schemes happening. I'm seeing him I'm seeing him. But I'm seeing him lead on. on I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he necessarily does want to play the five. But I'll tell you what: if Ty Lue was his coach, he'd be playing the five. One hundred. Especially I've, because you've seen like... that Giannis will listen to his coach, who ask him to do the dumbest things. So his coach will ask him to guard the, the the weirdest player, and Giannis will do it. Giannis has shown that he's coachable to a fault. I definitely think that Giannis does not want to play the five. But if you're a coach out there and you can't get your star player to commit and you can't get any other player to commit to have level of discipline, what's the point? Why are you there? So even if like, Giannis like he doesn't want to play the five. five because of highlights, he, he knows he that his game will become less, less flashy and less, you know what I'm saying, less oohs and, and wows and stuff, so he don't want to play the five. The other thing I wanted to mention um, as a final point is people saying, 
well, Yanis, one defensive player of the year last year. Uh, uh, why is he not guarding Kevin Durant? Do you watch basketball? Do you see how Yanis defends? Yanis is not winning defensive player of the year because he's out there on the perimeter, moving laterally very quickly and locking down perimeter guys. He plays as a, as I've seen this analogy all over Twitter for the NFL guys, he plays as a free safety. He's a Roma. He protects the rim. He protects the paint. That's why he won defensive player of the year. People need to get it through their heads. You do not guard. First of all, Kevin Durant is unguardable. Second of all, the measure of whether someone's a good defender shouldn't be if they can guard KD. Third of all, you don't stick long, tall defenders on these scorers. We have seen this throughout NBA history, that when you have these elite scorers, the guys that routinely give them the most trouble are, ironically enough, the shorter, quicker guys because they have faster hands, they react faster, and most importantly, they move their feet laterally quicker. That's why guys like Joe Dumas at 6'1", 6'2", gave MJ the most trouble because he moved his feet well. Uh, you saw this with Dirk in 07 uh, when he lost in the first round. Matt Barnes, Stephen Jackson, it, like almost a foot shorter than him, you know, five, six, seven inches shorter than him, but quicker defenders. Guys like Tony Allen giving uh, KD trouble in 2013 or 2014. Uh, if you're listening, you'll you remember the playoff series I'm talking about. Tony Allen is a six foot four but he could move his feet very well. Sticking seven foot Yanis on seven foot KD is 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 a disaster. Yanis is an amazing defender, but he's not moving his feet on the perimeter okay, like that. Guys, guys, I'm enjoying well. this. I'm enjoying this chat, but we've gone on about Giannis, Bud, this series for <laughs> way longer than intended. I'm just going to yeah. close with Sai. Um, how do you see the rest of the series going? Harden will sit the next game. We'll 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 probably lose game six. And then it goes seven in Barclays, and we we blow them out. Okay, good, 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 good stuff. So, uh, in case you listeners are thinking, there's not only one series going on. We are very much aware, um, and obviously we mentioned Tyloo, which segues very nicely into the Clippers and Jazz series. Um, I'll start off with the with the unfortunate news that uh, Kawhi Leonard has picked up an ACL injury, and at the very least, he's missing the rest of this series and I think we can assume that he's probably done for this season now and that's I believe the ninth um, all-star this year who's gone down with injury which is a which is an NBA record and is probably another conversation for another pod um, but the Clippers tied the series 2-2 off the black of stellar play from their two all-stars in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Um, Greg I, I wanted to get your thoughts on I guess where, where the series goes now without um, one of the best players in the league. Yeah, uh, Jazz should close out the next two games. Um, I think with, with Kawhi's injury, it's rumoured to be an ACL injury. I don't think we got the official ruling quite yet, although I could be mistaken. But um, regardless of what it is, even if it's just an ACL sprain or LCL sprain or something, you know, that's two weeks, three weeks minimum kind of thing. So he's pretty much out for the rest of the playoffs. Um, I expect the Jazz will clean up the next two games. It's a shame because this is the Clippers coming back from from two two games to nothing for the second time now in this postseason, and they had you know a little bit of momentum going into these last uh, three potential games. But yeah, I'm expecting the Jazz to close out these next two uh, with no Kawhi out there. Donovan Mitchell, you know, can can afford to uh, roam a little bit more offensively. Obviously, they, the Clippers still have uh, Paul George, but you know he's just one guy. Um, yeah, it's a shame, man. It's a shame. I was really looking forward to hopefully seeing the Clippers and the um, and the Suns in the Western Conference final if if they got through this. Uh, it would have been nice for them to to reach that far, that stage. 
Um, but hey, what can you say? It's looking like this year is just going to be the healthiest team that wins. And credit to the Jazz. They've, uh, for the most part, you know, apart from those those Mitchell games that, that have been missed, uh, and obviously Connolly now being injured, they've, for the most part, they've had a really healthy, uh, healthy season. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's ruined the series and it was ruined what was actually becoming a really compelling series. Um, but despite that, I think we've seen the further ascension of Donovan Mitchell. Um, Sai, Rick, either one of you, feel free. Um, what have you learned about Donovan Mitchell that you didn't know at the start of the series? Nothing. I told people he was like that. I, told, I, try, I try to tell people, like, you're seeing a guy that's growing up and becoming an elite shot maker for one. And he's just been good in the playoffs in general. Like you look back to even last year in the bubble, even if you don't think the bubble was real, what he did against OKC, like Donovan Mitchell has been good. Like he's just been consistently improving. And a lot, and like I told people, like Donovan Mitchell was better than a lot of young guys. Y'all don't think he's better than what I saw was an impressive level of shot making. And I was really impressed. And his ability to spit to split uh doubles is crazy. Like the one he's he struggles with traps and stuff like that. But in a pick and roll, I haven't seen a guard who splits like pick and rolls that well in a long time. That's probably like been one of the most standout things. And just in general, in the playoffs as, as a whole, the value of like pull up shooting is huge because now he's kind of extended the Clippers defense and like you can't play drop against guys like that. So Zubach was on him in game two and he gave him a quake. He gave him like an eight piece immediately out the gate. So you, you, you can't play drop on guys like that anymore. And I've also seen that size matters because after the Clippers have started to trap him, them not having a secondary playmaker and him not being a great playmaker and only being 6-1, you're seeing that size have an effect on the Clippers' ability to kind of just like keep him quiet. Yeah, I was saying I was saying to Sai earlier today, at times you actually forget that he's only 6-1 yeah. and if he plays bigger than he actually is. And it's at those moments where you're actually just, he's actually a small guard. He's actually a small guard who's who's fighting among among the giants. Um, so I guess it's looking like a, a Jazz Suns Western Conference final side. Um, how does that matchup sound to you? To be fair, from a purist standpoint, I think is I think is the best matchup that we'll see in in the NBA. Um, they they both move the ball really well. They're both really well balanced teams. They have that star power, and it will serve as a bit of a platform for some underappreciated talent, mainly in Booker and Mitchell, who we who we spoke about at the top of the show. So I, I, th- I think it will be a benefit to the NBA. Ratings might plummet a little bit, but I know us guys will be glued to it and eating the popcorn and really enjoying the the, the, the good ball. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I think it's a damn shame to lose someone like Kawhi again. Um, we've seen this over the years when he gets injured, his teams tend not to be able to cope without him, um, which is the case for most stars, but we've seen him in situations where he's really carried the team, gotten injured and then they've just fallen apart. So it's a shame, but ball is ball, ball moves on. Do you get me? I think the real sad part is that like Kawhi was having like another all time playoff, like run. Like I think that, He's underrated in terms of a playoff performer. Like, he's, like, top five for me. And he was making, like, a lot of people were saying Durant. But I think Kawhi was making a, a, a real good claim for best player in the world because that Dallas series, in the win, in the games they won, he was literally shooting 100% from the field. In the fourth They're 1A, 1B. Like, on, on, 
on our courtside uh, countdown, we we did have myself and a few others rank them number one and two. And yeah, at, at the time, I think a lot of people would have would have uh, been been a, a bit up in arms about it. But the proof is in the pudding. At the end of the day, like both of those guys are performing at an elite level on both sides of the floor, and they're unguardable. And they're doing it on both sides. Like I was going to say about that, like KD game, he dropped forty nine and was great defensively. Kawhi yep. was doing all this and was great defensively. Like at a certain point, I have, I'm giving so much respect to them because like you're not taking a break on either side of the ball, and it's impressive. So with the Kawhi thing, it really just sucks to see. I'm really hoping it's not an ACL tear because if it is, like we're not going to get to see him next season. We're already not going to get to see Jamal Murray next season. Like. The injuries have just been a lot, and it just sucks. So I'm hoping yeah. that I don't. He's not. He, I don't think he'll be back for the playoffs. In all honesty, because when you see non-contact injuries, that's just always a scary sign. I'm just hoping that it's not an ACL tear. But yeah. I am. I am really excited about the Suns and Jazz, just because it's like there's two teams with different styles. I really enjoy how the Sun plays. Devin Booker and his off-ball movement is really great. I'm just. I'm interested to see about Chris Paul and Devin Booker against. The drop coverage of the Jazz, but Rudy Gobert has been good switching out to people. So, like, people forget all the rating stuff. These are two teams that play good basketball, have opposing styles, and I'm just really interested to see how that that works out. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a great clash. DeAndre Ayton, who we've had question marks about um, during the regular season, has really come to the fore in these last two series. So, uh, watching him go against Gobert will be interesting. You've got the wing players in Crowder, Bridges, Bogdanovich, Ingles. Um, going against each other, and obviously Mike Conley, maybe Mike Conley will come back, maybe at some point. Um, people saying he's not trying to come back, he's not trying to mess up his Raptor and D LeBron, um, his Raptor and D LeBron stats. Stop um, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we go, I just want to thank you all for your time this evening. Obviously, um, for those of you who are listening on the Wednesday evening, this is ahead of the, the Clippers, the Clippers game tonight. Uh, the Clippers and the um, 76ers are, Hawks are playing as well. Um, so, yeah, check those out. Sai, a pleasure. Uh, probably see you next. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just remembered. Why the fuck is CJ McCollum tweeting about defense? You just got sent home. I saw that and I was like, <laughs> like, you're talking? You just got like. Jokic just sent you guys home and you were getting cooked by Austin Rivers and Facundo fucking Compazzo. I don't want to hear your thoughts on that. He does this every year. He does it every bloody year, man. He's a nerd, man. He looks like Steve Urkel, man. Fuck out of here. He does it. He does it every year. He does it every single year. Like you gotta be self-aware in this league, man. Especially what he did on Dame's 50-point game and him stepping out of bounds. Matter of fact, I don't want to hear you talk about offense or defense. Don't talk. <laughs> Don't. They're, they're blowing that shit up anyway, man. Yeah, I was gonna say he's getting shipped somewhere. He's getting shipped somewhere this summer. Don't you worry, man. Um, <laughs> Side, so, Greg, Rick, always a pleasure. Um, yeah, this this playoffs, despite the injuries, it's it's been interesting watching new teams, new players, new stars come to the fore. Um, and while that's going on, you know we're going to be here at courtside. So if you're listening, give this a, a, a hashtag on the Twitter, follow the account, join the conversation. Peace. Bless. Oh, yeah.
Social Podcast Network.